Are you into top 10 lists? What about pop culture? Or maybe you're just a nerd like us. We've got a show for you, loser. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Brandon. We're the hosts of the Tennis Podcast, a comedy and edutainment podcast covering a new top tennis list every week, including fun facts and trivia. We've covered lists such as the top 10 most popular 90s songs on Spotify. The deadliest animals. The worst US presidents. The leading causes of death. The best selling video game franchises. The most common murder methods. Okay, are you going to give one that isn't about death? The deadliest jobs in America. <sighs> Listen to these and countless other top 10 lists every Wednesday at TennisPod.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Top horror villains by their kill count. I think we're done here. If you listen to this podcast, there's a good chance to see you will die. We are the Tennis Podcast. That's one zero ish Bye. Justin Trudeau commented, and then what that guy said below him. No. Where he's like, well, you should have sacrificed your brother to Satan. Because his brother died. Right. And he, he that guy's comment was like, well, you shouldn't have sacrificed him to Satan. Where is this coming from? Yeah. And I see people are attacking John Legend and his wife. Their baby just died. Oh. And people are attacking them. Chrissy what? Teigen. Uh, what does Chrissy Teigen have to say about it? What do you mean? No, her. Oh, that's his wife. Yeah, that's okay. his wife, and they just gave birth, and people are already saying like, "Why'd you kill the baby?" And oh, all okay. This stuff. I thought you were gonna say Chrissy Teigen got on the news and was like, "John Legend killed his baby <laughs> no. for Satan." They're they're married. Okay. Haven't you seen them in the Hyundai commercial? Nope. Where they're racing and whatever. I don't have uh, commercial TV. Mm. Oh, I do on football days though, <laughs> and Jeopardy. You know what I hate? So. Thursday night football. Wish I could watch that. Yeah. Do you do what I do and try to find... Russian restreams? (laughs) Yes. I'm always on YouTube or Twitch and then I get banned and then I try to pick them back up. One guy was... He didn't get banned. He was streaming uh, himself watching the game so you could kind of see the TV of the game playing a little bit. Okay. Not great. Not great at all. But Amazon Prime, finally, you can watch it this week, I think. Just this week? Because they've done that in the past before. Yeah. For some reason, you have to wait a month or, I guess, five weeks until you can finally watch it on there. A football game? Yeah. After it happened? No, no, no. I'm saying they're finally allowed to stream live games. Oh, But they have to wait five (laughs) weeks. I don't know why. Oh, they have to wait till week five. Yeah. Okay, I was like... I was like, Jesus Christ, you had, who would watch a five-week-old football game? Someone in Ukraine, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. possibly. I, I don't know. Do they even like football there? Uh, I'm going to say yeah, just you because I so? want them to. You know, speaking of Christy Teigen. Chrissy. Chrissy Teigen. I'll be honest. I don't really know who she is. I thought she was a Fox News lady. No, no. she's I. She might have been a model, maybe. I think maybe you... Uh, aren't familiar with who she is. Uh, that you? has to be. Okay. It, I must not have any idea who she is. She, I think she's a very sweet lady, actually. Okay. I thought she was a far right wing No, 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 no. She's a very nice lady. But I remember I got a call one day from my mother, and she was, like, talking about this banana bread. She's like, this Chrissy Teigen banana bread recipe is sweeping the nation right now. And she's like, I got to try it. Everyone says it's so good. 
but you make a uh, banana bread or banana bread. What am I saying here? Banana bread. You make that in a bunt cake thingy. Certainly. And apparently it's great that way. And that's her secret recipe, apparently. Oh, that's the secret. I guess. You put it in a bunt cake? Yeah. All right. Instead of just a regular bread pan? Yeah. And it, may, it must make it crispier or something. I oh, don't sure. know. Oh, sure. More surface area to get foldy and crispy. Now that my dad's became a meme kind of a little bit on the sure, show, sure. We, I've realized we kind of morph our memes a little bit. One of our uh, uh, members in this week's <laughs> episode, one of our characters, <laughs> I should say, he definitely dressed like uh, the trapper version of your father, <laughs> the trapper bird watching version of your frontiersman Rick. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I was going to say quick is, my, my my father does not cook much, but he is a master of chocolate chip banana bread. Don't know why or how. Whoa. That is like his, he makes that so good. Maybe he needs mm. to just keep working <laughs> on his baking skills, man. Well, I, when I talked to my mom today, he's like, your father's bowling your antique tractor out, and he says he's going to restore it. And I was like, well, maybe he's feeling ambitious, ambitious. And she's like, oh, God, here he goes. He's pulling it out again. Because he's, he's actually going to do it, apparently. Wow. It's my grandpa's uh, tractor he gave me, a 1939-something or another. God damn. doesn't work or anything, Well, obviously. hopefully it will much, once <laughs> yeah. Magic Fingers Rick gets through it's, with it. It's one of the really unsafe ones with the two skinny wheels on the front. Right. And they tip over. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Do you guys have any three-wheelers around the farm, too, while we're at it? We used to, and then my, my cousin got her, her leg caught in there, and <sighs> I think that was the end of that bad oh, boy. I smashed my head off a frozen lake, and, <laughs> and my ma said we couldn't ride it no more. Yeah, they're a little dangerous, just slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, they're just death machines. All right, hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week, it is the finale of the Bloody Spinozas, our first ever redux slash <laughs> Finish. Uh, reboot. And yeah, we'll get to hear the end of the story <laughs> yeah. for the first time. It's only been fucking three years. Uh, isn't it crazy to think it's been almost that long? Uh, two and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna round us up too much we're there. One, we're one twenty six. This is one two six. Yeah. Jesus, it's halfway. Uh yes, my name is Adam. We're halfway there. Uh <laughs> wait, halfway. <laughs> and we're halfway there. <laughs> uh that is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. Uh I say we dive right in this month. Let's do it. We pick up directly where we left off. The Firsters, mm. the Colorado Territory's first volunteers, had given up the trail of the fugitives to the tactically sound and sneaky Captain McCannon and the vigilante crew scraped up from the mining camps of Buckskin Joe and Mosquito. Uh, I was kind of wondering this when you mentioned it last week. Can we really call them volunteers if they literally have nothing better to do? No. <laughs> no, they're just vagabonds then. Yeah. Like, they don't have shit else going on. You might as well join up. For uh, the search for these guys. Yeah, this there. was a welcome yeah. distraction from nothing. Yeah. You ain't got it. What are you going to do? Watch your horse shit in mm -hmm. the fucking pasture? Say, oh, maybe there's gold in my <laughs> horse poop. <laughs> McCannon and three others were laying in wait with guns trained on the brutal serial killer's horses, while four other men walked through the riverbed leading into the box canyon in order to flush the killers out to flee. And the singing guy's gone right now. He's gone. He's, He's gone. under lock and key okay. a couple miles back. I still have an image of those two buff boys carrying him off. Definitely. Two buff cowboys. Smashing him over the head whenever <laughs> he starts singing. 
The men maneuvering through the canyon were in the open with virtually no cover for 30 yards in any direction when a figure started moving towards the horses. Immediately, McCannon and his snipers recognized him as a big Mexican, and that was all the proof they needed. Mr. Lamb piped up and volunteered to take the shot. He had a big old double-barreled rifle and judged the suspect to be 70 yards away. The big Mexican bent over to remove a saddlebag from his horse, and Mr. Lamb let loose. Can you shoot someone with a double... Oh, I guess it's a rifle. You could shoot him from that far away, right? Definitely, yes. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Especially this big old, big old bastard was like mm. four feet tall. So, And it had the double barrels just so you could get that extra <laughs> shot off before you had to reload. That was 200% killing capacity. I, the scene you just described there, I'm envisioning... Like when they put the the goat up and the T Rex comes again. Like, is this how you attract big Mexican men? This is exactly pretty <laughs> much it. The big Mexican threw up his hands with a loud cry and fell backwards on the rocks. We'll hear the rest of the account from Mister Lamb himself. Then I arose and began reloading my gun. The captain asked me where I hit him. I told him about the third rib in the left side. How does he know that? He's a crack shot. (laughs) I guess he's an anatomy expert. Uh, The Mexican then got on his elbow and started to fire his pistol. I shouted to McCannon to look out just in time for him to dodge behind some willows. By this time, Mr. Sanger fired at the Mexican with a shotgun hitting the horse in the neck. The victim then fired a shot at Sanger without doing any harm. Then Mr. Crater raised his rifle and fired at the Mexican's heart. Hitting him instead in the head. Okay, so this is like a cartoon shootout that basically just happened here. If you can believe it, that headshot was fatal. Oh, well, yeah, I do believe that. Here I have to wonder how the party could be so certain that these were in fact the killers that they would start shooting to kill without warning while half of the posse were exposed with no cover in the middle of a riverbed. This would rightly be seen as a lynching since they never gave him the chance to surrender. Okay, but come on, is white America at this time going to do that? No, no, (laughs) but they are in Latino fucking country. There is so little whites. You know what? The one thing I want to ask about the quote... He died. He dodged, dodged behind a willow. That's mm. not going to protect you. Like a just the weeping willow leaves. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's will not going to protect you. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> I think, as any reasonable person would, that McCannon acted too hastily. Being a Mexican in a territory predominantly inhabited by Mexicans isn't enough proof to start blaming on sight. In a perfect world, they would have been more prudent. But like we talk about in almost every episode, coincidence, bad timing. And high emotions lead to cosmic fuck-ups that throw what should be simple into the land of absurdity. Yeah, I, their whole party was amped up. You know, they were just, they were waiting for that event. It didn't Starving, matter. freezing. Who, didn't matter who came in there. It could hmm. be the president of the U.S. are going to fire hmm. at him. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> this was a party of private citizens who all volunteered, motivated by a sense of duty, who had taken on a mission they felt needed doing that no one in an official capacity was responding to in any meaningful way. In addition, McCannon's men were not immune to the News Weekly and the Weekly Commonwealth competing with each other to sell papers by whipping up lynch fever, a condition that had already cost an innocent man named Baxter his life, simply because he might have been friends with unrelated cattle rustlers. I guess cattle cattle rustlers is a real worry here. Remember the Iowa folk who thought they were coming at him in the in this helicopter? Mm-hmm. So you're saying the fake news media here got someone lynched? Definitely. It's not good. It's Can you imagine me- reading 
people magazine and then there's just like we need to kill all these people like you need to be wary of all (laughs) mexicans and lynch them if you can on top of the anxiety and tension that simply comes from tracking a serial killer these men were worn the fuck out they had set out from the california gulch 11 days ago on foot and in that time they had walked slash marched at least 170 miles over rough jagged country intermixed with awful swamps and bogs Jesus, I'd like to see Forrest Gump try that. See, <laughs> I can continue to make excuses for the gentleman's hasty actions, but now it doesn't matter. The deed is done. That big Mexican is dead, and exactly as the posse men had feared, the big fellow is not alone. Once again, we turn to Lamb's journal. On hearing the shooting, the other murderer ran into the ravine where they were camped. I saw him and pulled up to fire on him when the captain shouted, Don't shoot, Billy! He's coming up the ravine! <laughs> I lowered my gun to be sure it wasn't Billy, and when I moved, he saw me and dodged out of sight. He was nearly the size of Billy and dressed the same, so it was hard to tell the difference. And as we had elected our captain to give orders, I felt my duty to obey (laughs) them. But if I had fired, I would have been sure of killing the other murderer. But I do not blame the captain, for he thought he was doing the right thing. So wait, McCannon didn't fuck up then. McCannon did fuck up. He thought that the other the other guy was Billy. He thought that the other murderer was Billy and told him not to shoot. Okay, so this explains why... And then salty Mr. Lamb here. Yeah, is... <laughs> okay. So this is why armchair generals probably shouldn't be leading actual armies. Right. Yeah. Right. He played a little bit too much D&D or something, and he just thought, hey, I can handle this. I understand his hesitance. You don't want to shoot one of your friends on accident. Yeah, yeah. But man, that was the murderer. (laughs) I feel like Captain McCannon's the type that posts uh, Joker memes on his social media all the time. I can't even look at a Joker anything anymore and not instantly cringe. Yep, yeah. I've just Uh, seen too many YouTube videos. I was going to say that has tarnished my entire view of the Joker. Yep. In Captain McCannon's official report, he makes no mention of the mix-up that allowed the second suspect to escape the canyon not dead. He also failed to mention that he jumped the gun in the initial shooting, leaving four of his men exposed. He also doesn't give individual credit to Mr. Lamb for killing the big Mexican. He refers to everything done by someone, not specifically him, as my men. So do we even know this big Mexican's name, or is that... His legal name. We are going to get that. <laughs> okay. But no, his name is not Big Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I that's kind of a sweet name if that's your name, though. If I could be, like, average height Norwegian, I, I'd be okay Perfect, with that. Perfect, <laughs> yeah. The second fugitive was able to scamper to high ground undetected, and at about 100 yards away, he cracked off two shots at the posse, both at Lamb. One ball went right through his hat brim and cut a furrow through the jacket and two shirts he was wearing. And the other hit right at his boots, sending shale and rock flying everywhere. Ooh, he almost got it. Lamb almost fucking... This, I guess this is why you buy oversized clothing, right? Yeah, and dress in layers. (laughs) And make yourself look bigger than you are. (laughs) The shooter then slipped out of sight, and the posse were way too tired to give chase. They rested right on the remains of the camp and nibbled on whatever they could find, specifically a half-eaten beaver tail that was left behind. There it is. Mm -hmm. Lamb removed the dead man's boots as a souvenir as they were especially awesome looking and equipped with vaquero spurs that had 12 spikes 
and were three inches in diameter. Damn. Obviously, don't use spurs on your horses, but if you're going to dress like a rad-ass cowboy, you should wear Vaquero spurs. I hope LeBron James hears that message. Quit wearing spurs on your horse. Is he uh, is he spurring horses? <laughs> I, know. I just envision him doing that. Let's, let's keep LeBron off horses. <laughs> He's too big for a horse, I think. Uh, you know how many messages we have gotten about the beaver tail comments? And then I have to explain the meme where it came from. And now you can all, y'all know where the meme came from. It's right here. Not to mention that meme was from episodes we're fucking ashamed of. <laughs> yes. So it's rough. I'm assuming these aren't the delicious Canadian dessert that they're eating. These aren't the great pastries. No, no. I'm assuming this, this is a half thing. rotten tail <laughs> off a beaver. <laughs> Probably awfully fatty. Not <laughs> a lot of meat on that bad boy. Although mentioned nowhere in the official report, the dead man's head was removed and placed in a flour sack as evidence, and the body was left in the canyon specifically to be wild animal food. If you can actually believe it, the Weekly Commonwealth wrote the incident without blowing it out of proportion for sales. I write a few hurried lines this morning to let everyone know that the great mystery which has enshrouded the bloody murders of South Park has been cleared up by the capture of the main suspect in the plot. A party of California Gulch boys who had been tracking the murders for 12 days discovered that the killers were two Mexicans and came into their camp on Friday morning about 18 miles from Canyon City, slightly above Oil Springs, and shot down the large Mexican just as he was in the act of removing a saddlebag. The other Mexican, the smaller one, escaped, but is still pursued. The Gulch boys came into the town last <laughs> night on a wagon with their evidence, and the head was laid out for examination at Town Hall, where an excited crowd gathered around and examined it until far into the night. <laughs> I cannot imagine... Attending a let's look at a head party here <laughs> for let's more go, than like 10 minutes. Yeah, let's go celebrate this head <laughs> Jiminy Cricket brought in today. But in Canyon City, that's like a, a James Cameron film coming uh, out. Yeah, I get, do, I don't think the big Mexican had like little uh, wires and shit coming out of his neck like he's a robot. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, when you're exp describing the man as the big Mexican, all I can think about is in the opening scene of uh, Men in Black, when the oh, alien, yeah. you know, and he, yeah, because that's a big boy. He There's was a, a big, big boy, boy in that. And he explodes, right? <laughs> well, the, yeah, they shoot him with that little gun yeah. and he turns into like silly string. Yeah. <laughs> Smash cut, five months previous, before the very first murder of Franklin Bruce was committed at Hardscrabble. On a bitterly cold Thursday, January 15th, 1863, ten soldiers from Company D of the 1st New Mexico Cavalry rode into the plaza of San Rafael on the Conejos River. <laughs> they were called in by U.S. Deputy Marshal George Austin, who was facing a problem with rustlers and bandits in the mostly Hispanic town. The arrival of mounted troops sparked immediate violence. Gunfire and arrows rained down on the troops, and before the two-day-long engagement ended, young Corporal Abeda was dead. Deputy Marshal Austin had a broken leg, the lieutenant of Company D had managed to shoot himself in the head non-fatally, and the two Hispanos that were suspected of killing Corporal Abeda had escaped. Okay, first off, broken leg in this time, you might as well be dead. Number two, how the mm. hell do you shoot yourself in the head? Mm. He was reloading his pistol, <laughs> and he shot himself in the fucking head. This is why we have gun safety courses, people. Yes. Okay. Yes, you're the lieutenant of Company D. <laughs> you are the leader of these men, and you shot yourself in the head. I. Why is it 
all these old school cowboys and like all this time period, they're always like buffoons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, like they're always doing something stupid. I'm expecting to hear like Three Stooges background sounds. <laughs> yeah, Benny Hill music. Deputy Marshal Austin then put up a notice offering a $50 reward for the apprehension and delivery dead or alive of two Mexicans, one by the name Felipe Espinoza and the other his brother, Jose Vivian Espinoza. Mm, Vivian, sexy name for man. <laughs> <laughs> Some as good as Shannon and what's the other one? Is there, do they name men Maurice sometimes? Maurice? Maybe it's Maurice. Shannon, I know Shannon's a common male's name, yeah. but it, it always threw, threw Shannon me Sharp, yeah. Yeah. Before the fateful skirmish at San Rafael, the brothers were poor farm laborers that would dabble in rustling and thievery to make ends meet. They did it enough to develop a reputation around other Latinos as desperate and lawless bravados. But it was the shootout at San Rafael that sparked them on their murderous rampage on Americans. The Espinosas were first recorded in New Mexico in 1845, the last census the Mexican government would do in the area, as the following year the land would belong to the USA. Interesting. Phil hates New Mexico, and even in 1845 it's still a dump and they had to get out of there. Very boring place. <laughs> Very yeah. boring spot. If Roswell didn't happen there, what what reason would you go there for? Uh... Walter White's crystal meth. <laughs> the father's name was Pedro Ignacio Espinoza, 46, and his occupation was listed as farmer. The mother was Maria Chavez, 40, and four children, including Felipe and Jose Vivian, were also accounted for. The Espinoza children were unique. All of them could read and write in a time when illiteracy among the lower class was 95%. Wow. In the region. Per okay. In the New Mexico okay. territory, yeah. So it kind of makes sense why these guys are smart. Yes, Very or why killers, they were yeah. able to get ahead of everyone else. Mm. I'm sure McCannon's posse, 95% of them couldn't read. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, and they were white dudes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Reading was made for devil worshippers. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> hey, if you can understand, if you can read the Bible, you're a sinner. That's for sure. You have to trust what the priest can, tells you. Can you imagine buying the morning paper? Then you have to go to the bar or the general store and ask somebody to read it for you. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't mind being read to. Well, I think that's why people listen to podcasts. Maybe you should be a tutor. Or a podcaster. Or a podcaster, I suppose. Since Felipe was a toddler, he was described as impulsive, irrational, and volatile. He nursed an especially bitter hatred for Americans, whom he saw as conquerors, oppressors, and enemies of the Catholic faith. <laughs> Felipe and Jose Vivian took being Catholic to the extreme. They became part of the Brotherhood of the Penitents, who would practice severe self-flagellation for the purpose of expelling their sins. You, you gotta. I wish I did more of it. I'm too big of a sinner now. I just masturbate instead. <laughs> yeah, like, say your dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At age 26, Felipe decided it was time to get married. Unfortunately for him, he had what could only be described as repellent looks. After striking out in his hometown, he decided to go kidnap Maria Hurtado, 17, and her younger sister Eugenia, 11, but he quickly let Eugenia go. Okay, so he's almost a, an OG incel. He is. You know, oh, wow. actually, you know what was going through my brain? You what? know how they call Indian incels curry cells? Oh, my God. Indian as in from the subcontinent, yes. not Native American. Yes, 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 yes. So I was like, what are? what is he, like a taco cell? <laughs> like, what would that be? <laughs> I don't know. It all sounds slightly <laughs> racist. Yeah, it does. When you, when you 
cook down people's mm. essence I, to the food that they make. Hey, that reminds me. We have to read the email from that one guy uh, that we got. I don't know it, but I'll, that's well, awesome. We'll pull it up. It, it is from a man from India. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. shit. I put it in the spam oh, folder. Oh, huh? damn it. I, it. We should be able to get it back. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Although Maria had a withered and useless right arm, she was otherwise incredibly sweet and pretty to boot. After being beaten and abused by Felipe for weeks on end, she was finally able to escape and run to her father, who was terrified of the Espinosas and forced her to return and marry Felipe. Come on, Dad, you asshole. Well, the two settled down and had their first child in 1855 and their second three years later. Jesus, what a terrible thing to do. In 1858, the Espinosas and Hurtado's extended clans all moved to San Rafael to be near Felipe and Maria. In the 1865 U.S. Census, it shows Felipe, his wife and two children, and all of the houses in the plaza were owned by either Hurtado or Espinosa family member. I feel like that's what it's like if you marry uh, into the Wahlberg family. Oh. You have to inherit the whole family. Oh, no. All the Wahlberger clan. You can't just marry one of them. You got to get all of them. Although, we'll give whatever Wahlberg brother married Jenny McCartney, she's the craziest one out of, uh, or one she's of crazier married... than, than the whole Wahlberg family. Did Donnie Wahlberg marry Jenny McCarthy? Pretty sure he did. Now, here's what I want to know. <laughs> There's a restaurant called Wahlburgers, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, I looked, I saw them on Instagram. Is that the dad or another brother? I thought it was all three of them's partnership. Okay, so it is a brother. I because there I think is it's Mark, Donnie, and whatever the other one. The is third there. one is not Mark or Donnie. That's for sure. No, no, absolutely. The not. third one he, is a little imp, a little ugly <laughs> imp. <laughs> He's kind of like uh, a Tyrion of the family. Yes, yeah. yes. But I think it's all three of them because two of them are rich anyway. Yeah, why not? Well, I, is Donnie rich? You think? He's got to have some of that new kids on the block money, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess Jenny McCartney's probably McCarthy. Well off. McCarthy's yeah. well off. I keep thinking of um, Paul. No, the <laughs> the ex Green Bay Packers head coach. Uh, McCarthy. He was also McCarthy. Was he McCarthy? Yeah, okay. Mike McCarthy. Goddamn McCarthy's. <laughs> the 22 year old Jose Vivian had somehow gotten himself a nice young wife without kidnapping and it amassed $500 worth of personal property and $1,500 worth of real estate, making him the most prosperous member of the two families. Wow. While the brothers continued their pious activities with the penitents, they also began dabbling in outlaw, as we mentioned earlier. Their reputation was beginning to precede them, even among whites. Strangely, we only have one provable account of an Espinosa robbery, and it comes from famous mountain man Tom Tobin, who will get much more time in the story a little later on. <laughs> they stopped the wagon in New Mexico between Santa Fe and, and Galisteo and tied the teamster up. He knew they were the Espinosas, even though they had their face masks. They took what they wanted out of the wagon and tied the teamster up to the end of the wagon tongue and started the oxen moving. Once the teamster was untied safely, orders were sent to Fort Garland to dispatch the New Mexico Cavalry to the San Rafael and capture the Espinosas. Hmm. Okay, alright, Tom. How is he famous, by the way? He's a famous mountain man. Mountain man. He's a tracker. An okay. Indian, they call them Indian hunters because uh, they hunt them down. So he's not, he's famous, but he's not nice. Yes. <laughs> okay. Have you ever heard of Kit Carson? 
Uh, isn't he the actor who plays? Nope. Okay. Nope. Already nope. <laughs> okay. He is uh, another famous mountain man. So mm. Tom Tobin would be less famous than Kit Carson. He's the only individual who su- successfully breed with a horse. Right. Mm. Right. I think you to be a mountain man, you must make love to your horse. Horse or like a wild ram, maybe? We we had a, an inside joke, uh, Phil, Bianca, and I. We, what We were watching the twins when he was visiting here. And uh, I can't think of the name, Jake Cave. Do you remember him? Mm-hmm. And I said, he looks like a mountain man. Mm-hmm. And then I, I ran and said, come on, come on, Cave, do this for Crackers, because he was up to bat. And they're like, who the fuck is Crackers? I said, well, that's the horse he makes love to after the game. <laughs> so now every time I see him, he's like, come on, let's do this for Crackers. <laughs> Obviously, in the playoffs, he definitely did not do he that for Crackers. He did but... nothing for Crackers. <laughs> oh, Crackers left his ass. Can you imagine if he heard that? He'd probably come and kick the shit out of me. Yeah, he's a big boy. He is a big boy. When the territory of Colorado was established in 1861, the Espinosas, Hurtados, and every other family around San Rafael were suddenly subject to a whole new set of laws and taxes that were never even printed in Spanish so they could understand the laws they were breaking. Federal and territorial officers swarmed down the valley, began organizing voting districts, holding elections for positions the citizens had never heard of, posting laws assessing taxes, and arresting those who resisted or questioned the new way of life. So I can understand why they're upset. Arousing fear even further, in 1862, Major Gillespie was dispatched to San Rafael in order to conduct a military census, and that caused all of the residents to assume the males were about to be ripped away from their families and conscripted into the Imperial U.S. Army, whom they fucking hated. Okay. Do you, was, uh, do you, I suppose, I don't know if you know, is that what the Mexican Army would do? So no, maybe they... no. In fact, where they were, which mm-hmm. was so far away from Santa Fe, which was like their trade route, the Mexicans' trade capital, mm-hmm. they were just left to their own devices for the most part. Okay. Live your life, improve the land, pay whatever petty taxes that they're imposed upon. But but I'm saying that fear that they're going to force them into the army. I would where did that come from? Was that normal? No, they they had never been militarily censused by the Mexican government. Nobody came through and was like judging the men based on mm-hmm. how military able they would be, able bodied for okay. their military. Gotcha. Now that this this happened, a fucking major and his asshole troops came mm-hmm. and were like, "Hey, this boy could fight well for us." He brought the newest new kids on the block album, and they're like, "We don't want this, man. Mm-mm, we Nobody asked this. for this. We need they, Selena only." <laughs> they brought that, and they started doing Saul Wahlburgers. <laughs> like, look, we don't even like this. It tastes like shit. Let's go to McDonald's or something. This tastes like shit. I actually, I don't know if it's good or not. Uh, me neither. <laughs> oh, you know what else? Um, they brought mayonnaise, probably. They didn't like that. Oh, mayonnaise. That's yeah. the problem. That's where the arrows started flying. <laughs> yeah. These officials were trying to do two jobs at once, build a new territory out of wild lands, and impose American law and order on a resistant native population. In the failed attempt to capture the Espinosas in their beds at San Rafael, the soldiers of Company D had burned down the dwellings, and the destruction didn't stop there for the families. The army arrived shortly after and took all of the personal property of the residents to quote-unquote pay for the funeral of Corporal Abeda. Wow. This included 10 cows, 2 steer, 5 oxen, 400 pounds of wheat, 4 beds and bedding, 2 water buckets, and a beaver trap. So they literally took every possession from these people. Yeah, I mean, come on. What do you need the beaver trap for? Well, the water bucket. Get your own fucking water buckets. Yeah. 
I mean, it, it sounds like some shit you'd find on Randy Newman's farm, but like... You Randy don't to... Newman. What, after he composed <laughs> he, the Toy Story song? Is, is he the is he the guy that makes all those uh, salad dressings? No. That's Newman's Paul Newman. A, Paul Newman. Okay. Randy Newman said, you got the wind <laughs> He sings the uh, intro song to... Um, Monk. No, Psych. No. Uh, ben Stiller won. Ben Stiller. And De Niro. I think that very first song's him. Anger Management? Ben St- oh, Meet the Fockers? Meet the f- Fockers. Fockers? Yeah. Fockers. Yeah, Meet the Fockers. Yeah. All right. Anyway, sorry. In any case, from the viewpoint of Felipe and Jose Vivian, an unforgivable offense was committed against them and their families. The army had attacked and burned their homes, terrifying and endangering their widowed elderly mother, their wives, their six children, and every other member of their extended clan, leaving them homeless and penniless. It never seemed to cross the brothers' minds, I guess, that their outlaw actions would have anything to do with this. Felipe's rage and hatred against all gringos escalated into a full-on lethal obsession. Thankfully for us, he put his feelings down in writing before he set off. The Americans ruined our families. They took everything in our house. First our beds and blankets, then our provisions. Seeing this, we said, we would rather be dead than see such infamies committed to our families. This was the reason we had to go and kill Americans for revenge. Very good Mexican accent, Cody. That was great. <laughs> I, d- I don't want to do it. Apparently it's racist. <laughs> I'm too scared now. <laughs> Let's talk about Fred Lehman's tie that had the promise to kill Anglos in the name of the Virgin Mary. Mm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. They, t- they pinned it up to a tree there? Yeah, I mean, I know for certain the Virgin Mary would want that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> That was the only evidence collected that tied this to religious motives. All other writings left behind by the Espinozas had their goal to simply kill all Americans, or at least as many as they could. A lot of outdated historians bring up the mutilation of the victims as being sacramental or ritualistic in nature, but these were almost certainly done to impose a savage vengeance upon Americans. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So did, are you saying basically at first they thought it might have been a religious thing? Exactly. And because of the papers fighting each other for dominance, they definitely blew that aspect of it very far. I was trying to think, like, what aspect of, say, the Bible would have, like, a face mutilation, but I don't really think there is anything in there about that. Mm -mm. I mean, there's incest and all of that. It's Uh, just tying it to their strict faith, Roman Mm. Catholic penitence shit. Thankfully... We're going to give a little preview here is we're going to be talking a lot about Catholics next week as well. So Excellent. This is a fo- this is great. We're going to be ripping Catholics quite a bit. And I can that? I can because I'm a former Catholic. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. No one knows how I got a bubble. No one knows how the Espinosas made their way to Heart Scrabble to kill Franklin Bruce. All we know for certain are the places they struck. Connecting the routes they took, where they laid low, what they ate along the way is all just guesswork. As best as can be estimated, Franklin Bruce was murdered at Hardscrabble on Monday, March 16th, and Henry Harkins just a day and a half later at Sawmill Gulch. Up next was James Adelman, near Wilkerson Pass, and because we know absolutely nothing about the hermetic mail station operator, it shouldn't come as a shock. We also don't know the exact date he was killed, but historians estimate between March 28th and 31st. Mm. Yeah, they probably didn't have a, a lot of good, like, decomposition work at this time, probably not. Right. But, I mean, that three days is pretty 
pretty close, right? Yeah, you're in the you're in yeah, the range. Yeah. The next to die by Espinosas were Binkley and Shoop on Wednesday, April eighth, near Kenosha House at the northeast end of South Park. From the eighth to the twenty fifth, seventeen whole glorious days they didn't kill, but then made their very public and terrifying re debut, slaying Mister Carter and attempted murder, Mister Metcalf. So, so really, what you're saying here is that. These guys are kind of like, why can't I think of the Oklahoma Bombers name? McVeigh. Yeah, kind of like him, where they thought they were going to start some revolution by doing this or something like that, but obviously we're going to just look at them like killers. Yeah, yeah. So, they really mm, wanted to be martyrs, for yeah. sure. Okay. I mean, the Catholic faith will, faith will tell you to do that. Certainly. So, yeah, you got to be an ultimate martyr. Let's smash back forward to present day, 1863, in the Oil Springs Canyon. <laughs> Jose Vivian Espinoza was the big Mexican lying oh. dead and headless in a canyon 18 miles from Canyon City mm-hmm. in the Colorado Territory. So that was Vivian, okay. Euphoria spread throughout the territory right behind the news that Jose Vivian was dead. Things started gradually returning to normal in South Park. In Pueblo, Colorado, the 3rd District Grand Jury was called upon to officially charge the remaining Espinosa with murder and order him to be captured alive and brought before the court for justice. For some reason, however, the court ordered the already dead Jose Vivian arrested instead of the still-alive Felipe. On top of that, they spelled his name as Vivian <laughs> Espinosa. This is why you're not allowed to drink in the workplace anymore. As a judge, for sure. Yeah. He it, put out an arrest warrant <laughs> for a dead man. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I Well, here's the thing. Like, obviously now we get news all the time. We can make fun of it. At this time, they're probably like, who's this goddamn Bliv- Vivian Espinoza? <laughs> Let's find him, goddammit. <laughs> we got to hang him. <clears throat> For the residents of South Park, including our old favorites Buckskin Joe and Mosquito, the reign of terror was over. 22 days after Jose Vivian was shot down, however, 200 miles away, near his hometown of San Rafael, Felipe Espinoza would kill again. That's a lot of miles traveled in 22 days. Holy shit. The victim was a lone white fisherman named Will Smith. (laughs) We don't know much about this murder other than he was killed with a rifle. How did Felipe get 200 miles away? When last we saw of him, he was escaping McCannon's posse on foot with only a pistol and the clothes he was wearing. Not to mention the entire country at this point was looking for a solitary Mexican whose name, crimes, and even description were known. Would you say that him and Will Smith got into an entanglement? He got in one little fight, and his mom got scared. I know that much. No, oh, you haven't watched the Vivian, uh, or who's Will Smith's wife? Uh, Jada Pinkin? Yeah, where she was talking about cheating on him. With that rapper. Yeah, yeah. she's like, we had a little entanglement. Yeah. And didn't she say Will Smith agreed to it at first? But then uh, Will Smith was like, I never agreed to that. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, it's too much cringe for me. What he did do in that 22-day lapse from murder sounds even more unlikely, but there is undeniable proof. Felipe traveled back to Oil Spring Canyon, found his brother's headless corpse where McCannon's posse had left it to rot, and buried it, but not before cutting off one of his feet as a remembrance. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, technically my sister's going to do this to me, so it's Yeah, fine. after she eats she's, you. Yeah, so. she's going to keep my foot in the freezer for a midnight snack one night. He, uh, he would wear the bones around his neck. Like a like a necklace. Is 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 that a common practice? Ah, uh, for a crazy <laughs> ass murderer, maybe. 
I mean, I'll wear Jordan's beard around my neck. I don't know if I, I don't know if Mexico has a has a history of cutting off your brother's feet and wearing them as a necklace, mm. but uh, certainly Felipe Espinoza did. Maybe he did that so the next time he's getting fitted for boots, he can just put his 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 brother's foot in there to oh. be like, okay, does it fit or does, can I feel the toes? <laughs> It'll be like a little gag he can play yeah. on the foot store employee. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also during this time, Felipe recruited his enthusiastic young nephew to take his brother's place in the gringo genocide. The nephew was 16-year-old Jose Vincente Espinoza. Together, the pair would kill approximately 11 more whites. Wow, okay. At he... least he didn't have to learn a new name, though. Jose, Jose? Mm, okay, but he's like, look, I know you don't have a lady's middle name, mm-hmm. but... Vincente or whatever will have to work. Yeah, it's going to do. At least it's still JV, yeah. (laughs) What is it, JVE? JVE. JVE, almost like JVCD. JCVD, right. Mm -hmm. On September 3rd, in the Rocky Mountain News Daily, an interesting article popped up. The villainous murderer of South Park notoriety drove into Cojones. Is it Cojones? Cojones. (laughs) Cojones last night and delivered five letters at the office of Major Head, with one of them addressed to Governor Evans. After visiting two sisters in the town, he mounted his fast Mustang, fired off six shots from his revolver, and made off into the mountains. The citizens and a portion of a military company from Fort Garland started off after him the following morning, but were unable to pick up his track. The substance of these letters left by him was this. He wanted the governor to give him a pardon and restore the property lost by himself and his brother, or in less than a month, he would come down out of his mountain stronghold and commence a war of extermination against Mexican and American citizens of the territory wherever he could strike them. He thought his bravery deserved honorable amnesty. I don't know. So he's going to kill Mexican people too. Anybody that is now submitting to the imperial force that is America. Okay. All right. Well, this guy's out of his fucking mind, yes. obviously. Yes, he's fucking nuts. I just, I just feel like he's going to come full speed down a mountain on his horse and he's like, he's ready to shoot it up or whatever and then he just instantly gets blown away. Yeah, just like 50 guns. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'm coming to get you, bastards. He just instantly turns to a red Swiss mist. <laughs> yeah. Felipe Espinoza, by the late summer of 1863, was more unhinged and dangerous than ever before. Uncle and nephew Espinoza struck again in the New Mexico Territory on the Sangre de Cristo Pass, which connected the towns of Trinidad and Costilla. This time, the victims were driving a mule-drawn buggy. The driver and owner of the wagon, a Mr. Philbrook, was driving his passenger, Maria Sanchez, to Costilla to visit her family. They left on Thursday, October 8th, 1863. We don't know if Maria Sanchez was an acquaintance of Philbrook, or perhaps she was one of his employees at his prominent grocery and liquor store, maybe his housekeeper, or maybe she was his side chick. Mm, let's hope for number three. Since Mr. Philbrook got married only five months before and was in an open buggy on an open road, it probably wasn't the last one. Mm. This buggy trip was a 60-mile endeavor, and as such, it required an overnight stay somewhere in the middle. When the pair hit the trail the next morning, they ran into Governor Evans of the New Mexico Territory, accompanied by Abe Lincoln's Secretary of State and a military envoy heading the opposite direction to a treaty signing with the local Ute tribe. 
Wow. So he got to meet the governor, huh? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, Mr. Philbrook got to say hi. I didn't know who Governor Evans is. I'm sure. I don't know. Is he from? He's probably not remembered much. Territorial governor of New (laughs) New Mexico at the time. Yeah, not much. Two hours before sunset, Philbrook and Maria Sanchez entered the canyon of the Sangre de Cristo, Mm. where the blood red rock walls formed a hallway about 20 yards wide through the mountain. Suddenly, four shots rang out from the north rim of the canyon. Three missed, but one struck the right-hand mule. Philbrook whipped his team up and rode them as fast as he could to escape, but the wounded mule soon fell dead. Oh, poor mule. Mr. Philbrook was armed with a revolver, but he wanted to run. He cut free the remaining mule, hopped on, and started to flee. But with the robbers coming ever nearer, he got right off the mule, grabbed Maria Sanchez from the buggy, and the two hauled ass on foot up the mountain. So he was going to just leave her there. He forgot about her in his panic. <laughs> he, like, forgot about her. This is why you should never become anybody's side chick. Yeah. They would just leave you. Oh, they fucking dump you. I felt bad for Mr. Philbrook, but now he's an asshole. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of, well, no, he's not. He's okay. he's a real okay. hero. Okay. We'll see. Okay. In an article written by the Weekly Commonwealth, The robbers came down, shot the remaining mule, took the baggage out of the carriage, and burned it. Five shots were fired at Mr. Philbrook and Maria as they ran up the mountain, darting between trees and rocks. Maria fell victim to a fatigue and a broken foot and was forced to conceal herself in the mountains as, as Philbrook ran for help at Fort Garland. Okay, getting a broken limb. Yeah, broken it's foot. It's like 95% fatality oh, right there. Especially when you're being chased by savage murderers. Why does everybody's bones break so easy during this time? Come Maybe on. they didn't have calcium? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I could, beaver tails aren't known for calcium. <laughs> no, <guess>. oh, no. <laughs> and this is where Dolores's Dolores. <laughs> Who the fuck is Dolores? There's never been a character called Dolores yet. <laughs> and this is where Maria's nightmare actually begins. <laughs> From the same article. She states that shortly after her companion left her, she saw two robbers light the baggage on fire and then started walking in the opposite direction of her. She got up and started running on her broken foot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Thinking they had, had gone, and when she looked behind her, the two men were running after her up the mountain. Mm. She was able to cut into a little how- hollow in the <laughs> mountain, and after a few hours, assumed they had gone and headed down towards the road where she encountered and was able to stop a wagon... One of the Mexicans in the wagon was named Pedro Garcia and could speak good English. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's important at the time. <laughs> he could speak good English. <laughs> the woman told Pedro what happened. He said, get in the wagon and I will try to save you. The Espinosas came running down to where they were and called out, what color are you? Answer quick or we will fire on you. We will. We are the Espinosas. <laughs> Mexicans, Pedro answered. <laughs> Did you meet or see a gringo running, running down the road? Pedro answered that he had seen a man running down the mountain in the opposite direction. Then Felipe asked, Did you see a woman around here? Pedro denied the woman to them, and she poked her head out of the wagon, <laughs> and, and Espinosa said, Put that prostitute of the American out of your wagon, or we will fire. <laughs> he refused to put her out. The woman cried, Pedro, don't perish for me. They are Christians and won't hurt me. And she got down from the wagon. <laughs> she was home free in that fucking wagon if she kept her fucking head in there. They weren't even going to rob Pedro because he was Mexican. Mm, even though he spoke good English. Yeah, he, okay. as lo- he was the right color, so they weren't going <laughs> to shoot him. Ah, oh, that's fucked up. 
Before driving off, Garcia left some bread for the Espinozas and begged them not to shoot the poor woman. Garcia describes the two as a man and a boy, both barefoot, and both called each other brother. Mm, okay, so they got a lot of calloused feet, probably. And a lot of Hulk Hogan <laughs> energy. Brother. There is little doubt that both Espinosas raped Maria and then left her tied Aww. up to go hunt down the white Mr. Philbrook. No sooner had they left than Maria chewed through her restraints and slipped further up the mountain. When night fell, Maria had found a fantastic hiding place at the ridgetop, and even though she was pretty far away from the Espinosas, she could hear their loud, echoed complaints, which included, The hussy couldn't have gone far. We'll find her and fuck her to death in the morning. Jesus! They they think they actually were saying that? Yep. That is fucked up. They knew she could hear. They knew she couldn't have gone too far on a broken foot. So they said she couldn't have gone far. So they tied her up, she got away, and they, while they were gone, came back, and they couldn't find her. Yep. God damn, that's fucked up. This poor woman, she had a broken foot. Been shot at. Freezing. Yeah, goddamn. The next morning, the Espinosas decided finding her would take too much time away from their genocidal mission. Poor Maria made her weary way in the direction she thought Fort Garland was, and after walking for six hours, she decided to risk going down to the creek to get water. When she reached the road, however, she found the original buggy and dead mule she was taken from. Heartbroken, lost, frustrated, and hopeless. She climbed back into the mountains to shiver until the morning. So she literally had a Blair Witch scenario there. She just walked in a giant circle That's on right. a broken foot. Yep. How do you even do that? God damn. When day broke, she trudged two miles while keeping out of sight and then saw three Mexicans riding down the road towards her. She explained to them her situation and offered them $4 in desperation to please take her to Fort Garland. The men refused this bloody, beaten, rape-starving, dehydrated, near-hypothermic woman saying if they helped her, there would be no doubt Espinosa would kill them. So they uh, are really afraid of this psychopath. Gripped in fear, mm. this part of the country is. Jesus, okay. You think one of these guys, who probably has guns galore... They all got guns, all three of them. ...would try to shoot him or something. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Without another word, Maria Sanchez continued her long and painful march towards the fort. Earlier that morning, around 3 a.m., Philbrook reached the fort and immediately sought out Colonel Sam Tappan and explained the situation. This being the third or fourth time people were fired on in the mountains, the colonel sent 20 soldiers out to find Pedro Garcia, who confirmed it was the Espinosas and pointed them in the direction Maria was likely traveling. Mr. Philbrook's care and concern for the poor woman can't be overlooked. As fatigued and fucked up as his feet must have been, he still accompanied the military search party to rescue her. Think about it like this. In less than 20 hours, he had been attacked by the Espinosas, escaped, ran 12 miles through the mountains in the pitch black, finally found the fort, debriefed the commander, and then immediately mounted up with the search party. The pair were gratefully reunited about eight miles from Fort Garland, where they found her stumbling down the road. <sighs> How many days later was it? Like, Le Yep, less than one. Really? Yeah. Okay. God, God damn, she's been through a lot. To Colonel Tappan, whose number one priority since being appointed commander of Fort Garland was stopping the Espinosa's season of terror, them attacking and raping a woman in the shadow of his fort was basically saying, come out and get me pussies. Mm. And Colonel Tappan knew exactly how to solve this. Call in Tom Tobin. God damn, and got the TT, baby. Mountain man, whiskey trader, <laughs> Indian scout, and trapper, Tom Tobin was a living legend. 
He was feared, respected, and even disliked by those not in his family, according to one of his trailmates. Hmm. By 1863, he was dressing like it was 1763, yeah. wearing a fringed buckskin coat, a bead-heavy waistcoat and moccasins, <laughs> topped off with a feathered cap made of bear fur. I can't imagine how much pussy this guy gets. Swimming in it. Swim <laughs> literally swimming in it. He's an old-school hipster here. He carried a 53 caliber <laughs> hawk and rifle and wore an 1851 Colt Navy revolver in a holster he made from the rump and tail of a buffalo. Oh, I'm curious about his a uh, dental care. Mm. Oh, he doesn't have much, but like meth head stubbies. As we'll see <laughs> uh, a little later on, okay. there he does something when he's tracking people that is definitely not going to be good for his teeth. Okay, all right. Hanging around his neck was a leather disc edged with percussion caps for his hawking, allowing him to load, cap, and fire the single-shot rifle in mere seconds. On top of that, he was a dead shot. His big old Harkin rifle, four foot nine inches long, had ten notches cut into the barrel, denoting the ten men he'd killed. At the time, if you notched your rifle, you were seen to have a vicious indifference to human life. In Tobin's case, although he certainly could kill quickly and without overthinking, this seems to have been for simple accounting. As gifted a hunter and tracker as he was, he had a terrible memory and number dyslexia. Mm, I feel you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Edgar Hewitt, an archaeologist who interviewed the scout in the late 1890s, had this to say. Tobin gained a reputation as a trailman by his uncanny ability to follow and detect sign. He could track a grasshopper to a sagebush. Mm. Wow. High praise. Okay. I mean, grasshoppers are uh, stealthy. They're slippery little bastards. Bastards, and they hate when they spit on you, and it hurts. Mm. Do they? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, I remember on the farm, they're everywhere, so I catch them in my hand, and you start to feel a burn, and they have like this brown shit coming out of their mouth. Really? Apparently... My dad used to call it their tobacco, but um, <laughs> I, I think it's a defense mechanism. Spitting out their chaw? Yeah, something to like hurt you so you drop them or whatever. Well, that makes sense. I'm assuming that's how they maybe dissolve whatever they eat oh. in their mouth. Well, maybe he's trying to get a bite of you. <laughs> he's a cannibal. I guess not a cannibal. Carnivore. He wants to eat human flesh. Mm. I, I get it, man. I get it. We, we're tasty looking. <laughs> According to John M. Francisco, another trail mate, his only fault was his recklessness in an Indian fight. While the enemy was in his view, he took the battle upon himself. So he's a, a, a bad, do we want to say a badass? Yes, definitely. Okay. It, and it was a trait that went both ways. Mm. He would treat comrades incredibly well and would mourn heavily at the loss of a friend. Mm. He always thought if he was fighting with someone, if anybody were to have to die, it should be him. And okay. he just wanted to make sure everybody got out whole. Mm, I just wish he wasn't killing Native Americans. Yeah, that's rough. But yeah. uh, obviously, he probably, at the time, didn't see what was wrong with it. A dedicated <clears throat> family man, he sired six mm. living children by his wives mm. and a Navajo mistress. Mm. He adopted a seventh Native girl oh, okay. and even married again when he became a widower in his late 60s. He is remembered as a warm and loving father and grandfather. In a domestic setting, Tobin was gentle and expressive even with animals, in a time when most men were inclined to cruelty to beasts. Not to mention, he looks fucking awesome. I'll post a picture oh, on yeah. Instagram. Are you positive the ten notches weren't for every time he had he had came? Ten pussy notches, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I'm assuming maybe four times he didn't get his wife pregnant, 
Uh-huh. And here he had six or he had six good shots. So he yeah, he pun- he's had ten comes in his life. <laughs> yeah. And six of them resulted in <laughs> yeah. child. Those are good odds though. Not bad. As far I mean, I don't want kids, but as far as I hear he's those are good ads. Yeah, yeah those are good uh, good odds. Thomas Tate Tobin was born in St. Louis in either 1823 or 1824. He couldn't recall exactly because not only was he illiterate, he had that pesky number dyslexia. Mm, You don't need that shit anyway. At the age of 21, he followed his heart and became a naturalized Mexican citizen and joined the Roman Catholic Church, all in order to marry a 15-year-old Mexican girl named Maria Pascala. I mean, the lengths you go f- to uh, get laid, I guess. For love. <laughs> love. This man's a lover. He's a lover. Okay. He's, he put roses down and mm. all that, and they prayed before making love mm. and all that. By 1863, Tobin was 40, and his adventuring days were mostly behind him. By this time, he was a prosperous rancher with real estate worth $2,000 and personal property coming in at a hefty 3500 Part of his personal property, unfortunately, did include his Native American slave, Named Dario Mundragon. Oh, I was just going to say you're real John Marston, but you can't do that. Yeah, he had a native slave. Mm. In early 1863, he acquired a female Navajo slave as well to do housework at the ranch. And soon she would be carrying his child awkwardly at the same time his wife was pregnant with his child. Well, I I hate to say this, but I'm assuming the second pregnancy wasn't consensual. Yeah, it was, it was probably rape. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Even if it wasn't rape, it's still a slave. Like that's yeah. a subservient person. Yeah. yeah, they can't rightly say no. Mm, right. On the morning of October 11th, Tobin was in the process of closing down his ranch for the winter when Commander Tappan's messenger reached him with a request to come immediately, prepared to go on a trip up the mountains. This was a perfect opportunity for him to run away from the two pregnant women in his life. So go immediately. He did. Adrian Peterson style. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's why he ran for 2,000 yards. He's getting away from pregnant women coming after him. <laughs> All over the country. Commander Tappan forced Tobin to take a detachment of 15 mounted troops with him, but Tobin did everything he could to get out of it. Not only would they slow him down and make an unruly amount of ruckus, they would muddle up the tracks he was trying to follow. It was non-negotiable. So he re- also requested an 11-year-old Mexican boy named Juan Montoya to lead his horse while he was following track. Although it seems strange in a modern lens to take an 11-year-old on the trail of an unknown number of serial mm-hmm. killers, as we will see, when things get bloody, the boy holds his own. Mm. You bet your ass Amazon would be doing this if they could. Sending, Hire- yeah. Hiring 11-year-olds to do the most dangerous jobs possible? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Tobin and Montoya hit the trail, begrudgingly accompanied by 15 soldiers. The hunt would last three days. On the morning of the 15th, Tobin came across fresh oxen tracks that he knew had to be driven by the assassins. He tracked them through a thick pine forest and eventually found one of their oxen milling about. Tobin then guessed correctly that they had taken the other ox to their camp to butcher. They followed the trail through a forest floor, which was almost impassable due to dead wood and fallen logs. Mm. You know what this reminds me of? Could you think, obviously, after we record, you like to dine at Taco Bell. Every time, yes. Could you imagine riding a giant Crunchwrap Supreme 
Like that's you're just the contract supreme is carrying you everywhere, and then one day you're just like, I gotta kill you because I need to eat. I'm out of but food I, and options. But I have a few other contract supremes here that will will eat later. Yeah. Mm. No, that's uh, it would suck if your car was actually a Crunchwrap Supreme. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, well, yeah, I mean, it's not wheel shaped. Maybe, uh, what's the other thing you're like? Do you get burritos? Maybe. Oh, okay. Yes, I get. Well, I'll just go down. Mm. Two steak quesadillas. Okay. Two steak quesaritos. You have to order them online. They don't sell them at the drive-through. You actually have to order them online. Mm. Two beefy five layers. Three Dorito Locos tacos. Four chicken shred shredded chicken quesadilla mini melts <laughs> mm-hmm. and a cheesy gordita crunch yeah I, we need to take all of that and see if we can construct a vehicle out of it i'm sure if there was <laughs> ever a collection of foods that would be the one to do you it. can have your four tacos like pulling the two quesadillas will be the floor and the roof and then everything else can be in the middle and make little chairs out of it'll them. look more like a santa sleigh than anything <laughs> yeah. What exactly gave the Espinosa's position away were the magpies and crows flying above the tree line. Once Tobin saw that, he knew the boss fight was coming. According to the Weekly Commonwealth, the camp was in a spot almost inaccessible from all sides and offering an eagle's nest view of the entire surrounding landscape. So so you're telling me the birds that scream like little girls gave away his location. That's right. The ones that were circling around a dead ox. <laughs> like, how stupid are you? Of course birds are going to be flying around there. Dude, crow, I, they're cute, crows and magpies, but man, their uh, noises is uh, just too much. Uh, they're loud as shit. Tobin advanced slowly through the tangle of fallen lumber, being sure to take each step with scrupulous care. He carried two fifty-three caliber lead balls in his mouth for quick reloading. It was faster to spit a ball straight down the barrel than to fumble with a shot pouch, insert it by hand, and seat it with a ramrod. Also, the spit on the ball helped the powder in the chamber to adhere. I figured the spit coming out of his mouth made it a poison fucking because <laughs> they're going to get infection immediately from his disgusting ass mouth. Poison musket balls? <laughs> yeah. So that's what, that's, that's what I was talking about. That's probably not too good for dental care. Mm, pr- I mean, you've went fishing, you bite the lead weight. I don't. No, you I don't? use pliers. Yeah, I okay. use pliers. Okay, well, me and Ricky. Yeah, I'm a big pussy. Yeah. Bit down on that bad boy. That's why we got bad teeth. Continuing forward, the smoke from the Espinosa campfire was visible in the air now. And after a few more steps, he saw the ox hanging from a tree. Two more steps, and Tobin saw Felipe's head resting against a log with his nephew nearby. As Tobin continued to spy, Felipe stood up, walked to the ox, carved a stake, put it on the fire, and then reclined against his favorite log once again. Sounds like a good meal. Not bad, actually. Ox <laughs> steak over an open fire. He's the ox steak, and that log's basically the original sleep number there. Mm-hmm. So good. Sobakawa pillow. You I remember g- those? <laughs> no. They were awesome. I guess if you like a really firm pillow or mattress, sleeping on a log, probably not that much different. You know what I'm into right now, pillow-wise? Mm. Bamboo pillow. Never tried it. It's just a whole bunch of sticks in there. I guess so. I don't know what it is, but it's light and airy and and thick. It's and if nice. and if a vampire breaks in your room, you can kill him with a wooden pillow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just stab him real quick. If Nick Cage comes in to uh, do something to you, mm-hmm. just kill him. Mm-hmm. Tobin took a second to really take in what he was seeing. Felipe was indeed as ugly as everyone made him out to be. His face sloped back to the crown of his head. He had a deep, disfiguring scar down the left side of his face, a ZZ top beard, and fingernails that curved in like talons. 
He resembled a wild animal more than a human. Kind of sounds like a witch. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Garcia, or mm. no, Jerry Ortega would be hunting this guy down. <laughs> uh, me and uh, Pia, our uh, listener from Mexico, uh, she was informing me of how the certain owls are what they kill because they think they're witches. Oh. I think that's what Jerry was telling ah. us, the, the weird bird yeah. that they used to kill. Apparently, it's a barn owl. Oh, just a straight up barn owl? Yeah. I'm like, what? They're cute. What are yeah. you killing them for? Well, they're witches. I guess. Yeah, Jerry said he would just pull out his pistol but, and but, shoot them. But you remember, he, he couldn't describe the bird, but apparently it's a bar, barn owl. Okay. And they turn into old women after mm, you shoot well, them. Well, they believe they do. Possibly because of the revolting sight before him. Tobin's usually trained feet broke a dry twig on the ground. The noise made Felipe flinch in surprise and immediately grab for his pistol. Tobin says, Before he turned over around fairly, I fired and I hit him in the side. He bellowed like a bull and cried, Oh, Jesus, favor me! And he cried to his companion, Escape! I am killed! <laughs> <laughs> Escape! I'm killed! <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some sort of bad movie line right there. Yes. Get out of here. I'm killed. <laughs> yeah, I am killed. Or maybe Bollywood. That's That sounds like that comes out of. They were a lot more flowery back then. Mm. Like, it would just be like, run, I'm fucking dead. <laughs> Nowadays. <laughs> Tobin's bullet struck four inches below the heart, and Ooh. Felipe began to crawl with his pistol still in his hand. Meanwhile, the young nephew, Jose Vincente, Darted from the ravine and ran towards a copse of aspen trees for safety. Tobin again. I sung out, shoot boys, and the three soldiers fired and missed him. I tipped my powder horn into my rifle. I spit a bullet into the muzzle, and while I was capping it to draw my gun and fired at first sight and broke his spine above his hips. Oof. Jesus. 53 caliber. It's a big ball. That will... You know, do what Bane did to Batman, basically. We should... Oh, yeah. Well, his rifle is in the picture of him that we're going to put up. So it is a giant-ass rifle. It's got to be, like, that big, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a mini... Cannonball. uh, Pinball ball, basically. (laughs) Fucking get hit with that. The boy pitched forward and began to pray loudly before he rattled out his last breath. Tobin knelt over Felipe and identified himself. As he did this, Felipe shot at an approaching soldier with his pistol and missed. This caused the other 14 soldiers to riddle him with bullets. I then caught him by the hair, drew his head back over the fallen tree, and cut it off. I sent the boy Montoya to cut off the head of the other feller. He cut it off and brought it back to me. This guy's just a fucking head collector, apparently. (laughs) Jesus. I I was hoping you were going to (laughs) say... The boy then went and trained with the League of Shadows and then came back <laughs> for revenge, but it's a lot darker than that. The boy's now Batman. Yeah, he, he he climbed up that big pit and he came and took out Tobin. Yep. Bastard. Much like the original Jose, Viviana Spinoza, the headless bodies of Jose Vincente and Felipe were left for the animals. But unlike Jose Vivian, no one would return to bury these. Tobin returned to Fort Garland with his sack of heads on October 16th. Tobin, because of his date dyslexia, swore up and down until his death that it was September 11th. (laughs) Never forget. (laughs) When he got there, Colonel Tappan was out horseback riding with his wife, so he stood around with his bag of heads until eventually they returned. Mm, I bet that smelled grand. Tappan asked if he had any luck out there, and Tobin nonchalantly said, 
eh, so-so, and then proceeded to dump the heads right on his floor. <laughs> his wife's going to be so pissed. That, that floor just got mopped. <laughs> it said tap and turned, turned <laughs> green at the gills there. Girl, I bet he did. Can you imagine coming in, dumping heads on your floor? Ugh. Within 20 years of the Espinosa serial murder spree, legend, lore, and fantasy had already overtaken a lot of the facts. The Espinosas were seen as the immortal boogeyman, definitely setting race relations back even further than they already were. Anti-imperialists at the time propped them up as victims of, and then rebels against, a colonial conquest by a foreign power who insisted on replacing valued traditions with alien ones. Technically, they're not wrong. But we all must remember, mm. the trail of innocent blood that was left behind by the heroes of this story, including Captain McCannon and his vigilante crew. If we place getting justice on such a high pedestal that innocent blood getting spilled to attain it means nothing, mm. are you actually getting any shred of justice at all, or just good old-fashioned vengeance? Saves vengeance. I mean, at the end of this here, I feel like all parties involved have a negative aspect of them. Yep. Obviously, Felipe's killing everybody. The Americans took over the Mexicans' land, or I guess purchased it. Didn't ask anybody. Yeah. They were just like, hey, uh, here we go. Uh, same with the Native Americans. Obviously, Mr. Tobin owns slaves. It's just kind of a whole bad guys killing bad guys somewhat. It's and all shades of gray, you yes, know? Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, the picture I posted on Instagram last week, is that supposed to be Felipe? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I, at first, I was like, "Why did you put the Tapatio guy up there?" <laughs> I was like, "Why are we? Why are we advertising you, hot sauce?" If you Google their thing, that picture's everywhere. I'm assuming since obviously I they didn't have cameras, they didn't have a cell phone. I think that's a artist rendition of him. That's why his little pants are like humongous, <laughs> which are really badass. To be those honest, those are called the yeah. Caballero pants. Mm, yeah. They're like. Bigger than they're like the original Jinko jeans. Hell basically. yeah, hell they're yeah. They're so big and awesome. No, yeah. There's no official pictures of the Espinosas, unfortunately. Only artist rendering. But Tom Tobin, there's a fucking random picture of him. I I I bet you I've seen that picture too because when I was searching it, there's like a really wiry, dirty looking mountain man's picture everywhere. Was he carrying a big old gun? Yeah, yeah. That's that's Tom Tobin. I'm wondering if the gun's big or if he's small. No, that gun's huge, and okay. he's small. Okay. <laughs> like, do you remember the gun from The Witch? Yeah. The giant yeah, fucking yeah. rifle that the little boy was hauling around? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's basically him. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of uh, Quigley Down Under. Do you remember that? No. It's a, he had, like, this humongous gun, and it could shoot, like, a fucking mile away. That was his thing. Like, he could snipe people from a mile away in Wild West times. Quigley Down Under. Quigley Down Under. Did it? Was it in Australia? Old no, West it, Australia? it was American. I think the main guy was, uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Paul Hogan. <laughs> I don't think he was alive. And this is like an 80s movie. Paul Hogan is Crocodile Dundee. Mm. Oh, yeah. Me and Phil make fun of him all the time. Really? Yeah, we do. <laughs> it's always him, Barack Obama, Chef Ramsay. I'm forgetting one. Probably Bezos. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, all They're all those. in the same category to yeah, us. So. They all deserve it. Mm. All right. Well, that concludes, concludes, as I like to call it, the Espinosa saga. Uh, two and a half years in the making. I feel complete. Good. Good. I feel complete. Me too, actually. I'm feeling, mm. uh, I'm feeling lighter than I was, mm. which is nice. If you guys liked it, you can go to our website and leave us a nice comment at bumblebuttpodcast.com. 
Uh, it's pretty awesome there. Bumblebuttpodcast.com is fun for all of your merchandise yeah. needs, all of your about me needs. Mm. Uh, just go there, have a poke around, and say something lovely to us. That would be great. You can also follow us on Twitter at BumblebuttPod, Facebook and Instagram at BumblebuttPodcast. Hell yeah. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, uh, leaving a follow on Spotify. <laughs> there Hit you the go. follow button on the Spotify. <laughs> And now it's time for the most important part of the show, <laughs> the Apple iTunes reviews. And Cody, I do know we have one. We did get a new one. This one is from Book Nerdigan. I believe I said that. Book Nerdigan. It, uh, his is titled Binge It Five Star. I'm no stranger to true crime and paranormal podcasts. So when you give me a story I already know and still make me laugh and keep me listening through the whole thing, you've got something go- good going on. I can appreciate their shout-outs to Small Town Murder and Last Podcast on the Left as they're favorites of mine. I love a potty mouth, and my southern (laughs) self digs the accents. (laughs) I found yet another podcast to binge and then then keep in the weekly rotation once I'm caught up. So thank you very much. Book nerd again. Thank you. That is awesome. Thank you. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, everybody, keep them coming. We want more to read, more, to be honest More, more, Yeah. Stroke my big green ego, please. <laughs> uh, now, if you really want to support us and be a real all-star, you can do so at patreon.com yes. slash bumblebuttpodcast. Cody, I know we have a couple new Patreons as well. Well, this week, Cody, I actually know who the two new Patreons yeah. are. And that is Miss Renee Fletcher. And thank Miss you. Elizabeth Washington. Thank you very much. And Elizabeth's been sending us delightful emails. Fuck so yeah. Thank you Especially very much. about over, over, over <laughs> orgasms. <laughs> it's that, not as dirty as it sounds, I promise. No, but it sounds like a, God, you would not want that. No. You would not want that And at all. I have another one starred in our inbox that we are going to do. Once oh. we do a solo between the bumbles, we'll, yeah. we'll be able to uh, bring up those subjects. Can we can we just quickly read this guy's email that we talked about? Right, here? right. Uh, this is from, I think it's Sol Hassan. Uh, it says, hello, sir. How are you? Have you any Apple Podcasts iTunes store? (laughs) I am a professional podcast promoter. I am willing to work with you. I promise you, you will get a lot, much better work. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Clearly, that's uh, a bot or something. Unfortunately, we do not have an Apple iTunes store. (laughs) We, We simply host there sometimes. I love that so much. I love that. My God. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention in the beginning. So the print that I previewed, we we finally put that. Or I have the order in. The shirts are available for pre-order. We'll get going to get this production on the, the Unholy Trapezoid shirt. Yes. Okay. The production will start Monday, so you can buy it now. And the second we can get it, I can send it to you immediately. Pre-order, baby. Yeah, please the, do. The best way to guarantee that you'll get a shirt and mm. that we don't sell out is do that pre-order. And you'll right. be able to get it as soon as it is in our hands. We've been lucky lately. It's been less than a week to make them all, so we can get them out right away. That's that's very nice. Yeah. That's very yes, nice. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned on Wednesday for a Between the Bumbles. Also, this week, a new Patreon episode will be up. Hell yeah. Uh, it'll be great. So, <laughs> it's all going to be great. It's all, every single part of it. So, that's uh, going to do it for me. My name has been Adam. That's going to do it for Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank you all out there for listening. And have a great weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Beep boop, boop.